Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements. And uh, I stumbled across this this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times. And it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting. And I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Yeah, sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Roy Wood Jr. is a tremendously funny and astute comedian based in New York City. Originally from Birmingham, Alabama, Wood is likely best known as a correspondent on The Daily Show, 
a position he recently left for new career pursuits. He has been an acclaimed and practicing stand-up comedian for decades, whose latest special is 2021's Imperfect Messenger, and is also an actor who's appeared on Better Call Saul, Only Murders in the Building, and Sullivan and Son, and had a feature role in the 2022 film Confess Fletch. Between November 2nd and November 25th, Wood is headlining a Just for Laughs comedy tour that goes from coast to coast in Canada, and so we reconnected for a talk about things like uh, watching baseball and the 2023 World Series, being on the road again, and studying up on Canada, why he decided to leave The Daily Show before it named a permanent host to replace Trevor Noah, his own interest in that job, the current health of late-night talk shows and how comedians navigate a fractured media landscape, his work on Better Call Saul and our shared love of that show, his remarkable set as the featured comedian at the 2023 White House Correspondents' Dinner, what President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris said to him after that performance, whether or not Canadians care about the CFL, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it, and in fact make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. That Patreon is the primary source of revenue for all of the work that I put into the show. And uh, I could uh, use your support. So if you can, support Creative Control on Patreon today. Thank you so much. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All wonderful independent businesses. This is episode 816 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Roy Wood Jr. with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Roy, how's it going? What up? What up? Nice to see you again. Thanks for making time. Where in the world are you? I am in Moncton, New Brunswick, in the eastern parts of Canada today. <laughs> nice. Have you ever been there before? Negative. I've never set foot in this city before, and um, so far so good. Picked up a local paper, so we'll see what's cracking. You know, one of my favorite bands is from Moncton. They're called, uh, they were called Eric's Trip. So if you talk to anyone about my vintage and ask them about Eric's Trip, you might end up in an interesting conversation. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> just giving you some uh, ways to meet with the locals. That's all. Uh, you know, as we're speaking, I just I, I heard a little bit of a Beatles song. There's a new Beatles song. Do you know about this? They're still making music. Somehow they are. They used AI. <laughs> they used AI. To uh, create a brand new song, I, I I don't know if you're a Beatles fan, okay. but I found I find this I'm interesting. Not an, I'm not an AI fan. I'm not that much. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> not thrilled to know that that's how things are happening. <laughs> that was a major uh, major discussion point in the in the writer strike, I believe. This uh, use of yeah. AI uh, yeah. and, and people's likenesses. Anyway, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Uh, did you watch the World Series? I see you're wearing a Cubs cap there. 
Yeah, yeah, I did. I I watched it from an airport bar. Unfortunately, it's always weird watching sports in a group setting with strangers. And none of you are invested in the game. You know, like you just, it's not that you're not invested in the team, but you are the game. So you can turn to one another period. Ah, oh, man, did you see? Ah, he sucks. Okay. Let's keep watching some more. Um, but yeah, yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Congrats to the Texas Rangers. Yeah. I couldn't tell who my horse was in that particular race. I watched as much of the playoffs as uh, possible. And uh, once you're, like you say, once your home team or the team you love, gets eliminated you're i i keep going are you someone who stops when your particular team doesn't make it yeah no i still like the sport of baseball i still like sports but i find players to root for and i like the the rangers seem young and fun yeah so why not yeah why not root for them the diamondbacks what they did was amazing i mean they leapfrogged my cubs in september you know, to go that far as a wild card team is absolutely amazing. And I think that's the excitement baseball wanted back in the game. Though I think deep down, everybody wanted the Braves or Dodgers. Like that. Or the, or I was hoping for a Braves-Orioles World Series. That was the one that I was kind of hoping for. 200-win teams, yeah. you know. yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just like you. I just like the game. Whoever ends up where they end up, I start uh, I pick my favorites and I will I know some people don't like the Rangers for all sorts of reasons, but uh kind of rooting for them there. I I grew to like them. Yeah. I also uh don't like Houston. So I liked that happens too when you really hate a team and then a team you don't even know that much about beats that team, they're your team. You ever have that? Well, you know what's weird is that I'm not crazy about the Astros. But I love Dusty Baker. Yes. So it's like this, you know, this gift and a curse, you know, type of thing. And also Dusty wasn't there during the, the year in question yes. with the Astros. Yes. So I feel like it's not his fault per se, but I don't know. Did you see the altercation between Dusty and the umpires? Did you see that game? No. Okay. That must have been one of the ones where I was in a blur on okay. the tour. Like, I just was curious if you had I, – I, that's fine. We don't have to talk about it too much, but just so you know, he got in a huge argument with the with the umps, and they hoofed him, but he stayed for like forever. And I was just wondering why <laughs> how the ejection worked because they were like, you're gone, and he was just there another 10 minutes still yelling at them. Anyway, I thought if you'd seen it, uh, you would have some insight. I thought that was odd, but maybe nah, that's... I missed that one. <laughs> so uh, how is life uh, on the road uh, going for you these days, uh, right? Uh, I mean, everything is fine. You know, it's it's good to be back on the road, but, you know, the road is the road. I don't really have much new to say about it. I'm just thankful that I get to go to a bunch of new cities this time and try some stuff. Uh, this entire tour this year has been great. Had some great shows in some familiar places and then markets that I haven't been to in a long time. Like, you know, your Kansas cities and your Vancouver's and, uh, and Kansas cities and Virginia beaches and stuff like that. We're going to Vancouver later this month. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good times. So you say back on the road. Uh, how long were you off the road? Is that pandemic related, work related? Yeah, about two years. I mean, you do your dates here and there. I had an hour special come out in 2021. And so that was probably the last time I was on the road on a regular basis. And then 23, I popped out and like really like in terms of like setting, okay, here's 30 cities 
consecutive weekends and go. Yeah. That's been a whole different beast. Right. Uh, are you noticing shifts in audience behavior or any th- other kinds of adjustments you've had to make uh, since the pandemic began or just given whatever is going on in the, the way people uh, <laughs> attend events these days, I suppose? I haven't noticed anything in particular. I think audiences are more energized and more excited to be at a show now, if anything, yeah. you know, more than anything else. But, you know, just in terms of just straight up. Is it weird or people rushing the stage or heckling or anything like that? No, nah, I haven't seen anything like that. Not at my shows, at least. Are you engaging in any more crowd work than you might normally do? Anything like that? No, I'm not really a crowd work guy to begin with. No. So, yeah. you know, if somebody had, like I might ask a direct question to someone, but for the most part, you know, I've been able to get off my jokes and been able to be edgy and being able to talk about things that are a little still weird and outside the box. So in that regard, you know, I'm cool. That's kind of why I'm enjoying this challenge of being in Canada for a month, because it's going to force me into thinking about things a little differently and talking about the issues that are more pertinent to people here. I don't think I can just get on stage and talk about a bunch of American stuff, you know, hmm. for people who don't live in America. Is that normal for you to like uh, try to, I assume, read up, learn up on uh, a country you're visiting and, and yeah. try to address? Yeah. yeah, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and do an hour on Canadian shit. But <laughs> Trudeau's getting a divorce while he's in office. Let's talk about that. There's subsidizing heating oil costs. It yeah. costs Canadians more to heat their home than fuel their cars. Let's talk about that. You know, like that type of stuff is, oh, that's not an American thing. Like American politicians don't get divorced while in office. You get divorced at like, hey, let me finish serving the people. Then, (laughs) then you can get a divorce from me for cheating on you. How dare you? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That is a subtle difference about that. What does that say about us? What does that say about Canadians to you that we... Won't do the performative <laughs> thing and, uh, you know, carry on for uh, appearances. Is that does that say something about us? I don't know. And that's what I've got to sit and get to the bottom of. I mean, you know, yeah. this is also where going on Canadian Reddit and just doing a deep dive into how people feel about issues here and then having jokes about those differing perspectives. So there's a little bit mm-hmm. of research that has to happen, you know, as I inch my way across the country day by day during this month. And so, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to, to see that, but in terms of changing things up, that's probably the biggest change, but I'm not going to do a bunch of crowd work or anything. No, no. I just curious if you did yeah. Canadian crowds, very, very generally pretty nice. I bet you'd have nice, polite crowd work exchanges. <laughs> that's all I'm getting at. Yeah. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. They say they're nice, but I don't want to assume that. <laughs> We're not all nice, by the way. Some of us aren't. I, I like to think I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> um, this uh, this approach uh, to kind of looking at uh, regional news, I suppose, is this something that preceded your time at The Daily Show in your act? Would you talk about local stuff and read up uh, about it? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm only, I don't mean to be reductive, but you were on a show where that was kind of part of your job, I think, was to try to make fodder or, or use the news and the news cycle as fodder for a comedy. Um, is that, was that something you had to learn to do on that show or was that something you were already doing? 
Yeah, that was something that I was already doing for the most part, only because my degree is in broadcast. And so part of the prerequisites when I was in school was that you would get a current events test, a quiz every day. So you had to read the paper. So the habit of finding a paper and gathering the news of the day was already a habit that was just drilled in me from college. And then once I got a little older and started doing stand up, I found it fun to try and do one local joke per set. Like even as an MC, you know, we're talking way back in 1998. So, you know, in those days, it was just more fun to try and talk about other things. But what I started noticing as I traveled the country and kept reading local papers is that most of the news is the same. Yeah. There's a murder. There's some company doing something shady. The police messed up. There's a corrupt politician, you know, and then there's something charitable happening. Donate money to help for the sad thing. And so once you start noticing that, then you notice the things that connect people. And so that's just kind of what I do now. And so, you know, I like it. And and, and it's not like you're going to get a golden joke every time you do that. Your hit rate may only be once or twice a year where you see something that is significantly thought provoking to the point that it creates, that it opens up a new pathway of exploring a topic or an issue. Mm. Uh, that's kind of why I enjoy YouTube now, because YouTube and Reddit are not just a place for the news, but to in real time see people's opinions of the news. Right. And that gives me the ability to not be on stage giving an opinion that everyone else has already given. Right. It gives me an opportunity to have a more original perspective on something. When you discover that experiences, good or bad, are universal on some level, on the one hand, I would assume that's sort of heartening and reassuring. Okay, like even if it's bad, everyone's going through the same shit. On the other hand, is it sort of spooky? Mm -hmm. Is it eerie? What? The, how can every place and everybody <laughs> be going through the exact same thing, particularly if it's bad? Why isn't this being rectified? Do you have those kinds of thoughts? I don't think about it like that. I just think about it more of it's made me less inclined to hold people accountable and more look at the system. You know, you have to yeah. hold people accountable to change a system, but people constantly change. The issue is what remains. Right. So it's about people coming in and going, yes, I'm going to be the person to change the thing. Okay. Well, how? And then grilling that person about it. And I think that's the thing that that's most fascinating to me is, you know, well, how do we change this issue? Or let's look at this bigger thing that we're all experiencing and then acknowledge how that is also affecting us as a people. Like if you look at automation and the customer service experience and like self-checkout to me has created an atmosphere where we're not as interactive with sales reps. Mm -hmm. And if you're a person living in loneliness, the retail experience is one place where you would expect to kind of have, even if it's a fake five minute friendship, there was hospitality. So the lack of hospitality, I think creates more, even an even more feeling of isolation in this world. Now it's my job to make that funny, of course, but yeah. you know, to me, that's kind of where my curiosities lie, but you know, people are in pain all over the place. Yeah. There's discrimination all over the place. There's, death and dying, there's crime, there's poverty all over the place. And 
then it's just a matter of the severity in which you want to address, you know, which one is most important versus the one you can make a joke about, which is the issue we were always having at the Daily Show. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, you mentioned the Daily Show. I know you've had to speak to this numerous times, but uh, as we're speaking, it's the beginning of November. I think you've had some time to talk about this uh, situation of yours and also maybe process what it means at this point in time. Can you tell us a little bit about your decision to leave that show, where you're at with that decision as we're speaking right now today, Roy? Can you do that? I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. Like it just it boiled down to be in a situation of not wanting to be in limbo. That's it. That's pretty much it. They don't know what they want to do for a host. And I don't see that decision happening anytime soon. Yeah. Not knowing where I fit in the show be it as a host or as a correspondent for a new host. There's been a year. There's been a year to answer that question. So Trevor stepped down in September of last year. Yeah. So there's been literally a calendar year to figure that out. So while you all figure that out, I'm going to go over here and figure out my own stuff. And that's really all it boiled down to. And the job of correspondent is not the type of job where you can multitask. You are not going to be able to do anything else other than that job. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm a father. Also, I'm on tour. So there's just a lot happening already. So you have to take something off the table to be able to be a little bit better at the things that remain. So I just needed time to focus on what I wanted to do next. Like, there wasn't a lot of political back and forth. There wasn't angry or contentious. It was just, hey, you know, my contract, my contract expired during the strike. So mm. when it came time to ask the question of coming back to work and say, oh, what's the plan? Oh, we're still figuring it out. Mm. OK, well, I don't think I don't think this is how I want to spend the rest of my year doing this job, because come January, it is going when the strikes are over. It is going to be a creative arms race yeah. to get content back on the air. And it is going to be super competitive. So if I can get a hand up on that, you know, we're hedging bets. But, you know, that's really what it boiled down to. Okay. Well, first of all, for what it's worth, I think I represent a lot of people who uh, want to commend you for making this decision. It probably wasn't an easy one. I think some of us would just continue to be, quote unquote, like a good soldier and wait and wait uh, because a career opportunity might be uh, forthcoming. So I just want to say for what it's worth, I I really admire this decision you made. Um, this is a weird Thank question you. potentially, but do you think your decision here precludes you from then now being like, if they come back to you <laughs> and say, look, we've looked around, we may, we, we might've fucked up. Would you consider coming back and, and actually being the host I don't know if that's a, a wild hypothetical. Do you think leaving precludes you from even being engaged in such a conversation? Is it possible for you no, to speculate? That's a question for them. I'm, I didn't leave because I wasn't chosen. I left because I'm not sure what they want to do. Yeah. Okay. You have a plan. Come back to me. Yeah. I think it, I think I'm definitely done as a correspondent. Regardless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think I can come back and do that. But in terms of hosting, if they came back and wanted me to host, I think there's a for sure a conversation to be had. Like it wasn't 
It wasn't like, I'm taking my ball and leaving. It was just, I need to go figure my life out because I don't know what this is going to end up as. Yeah. And if it don't end up in my favor, I'm the one that's fucked, not you. Yeah. So I need to protect myself. So bye-bye. Yeah. yeah. That's it. So if you come back and go, hey, host. Okay, let's see. But then, you know, there's also a bigger conversation to be had about late night and creatively what late night is going to eventually turn into. And exploring that. And I think that's where anyone who's hosting the Daily Show or any show in late night is really going to have to consider what the creative future of the genre is. I want to ask you about late night and sitcoms and other things in just a moment in terms of how they relate to the old models of comedians and their trajectories. But I appreciate this decision you've made. On a human level, do you miss working at the show? Yeah, I miss my friends. I mean, I miss that. I don't miss the grind. You know, the the show has done things that there is a lot of worth in what we do. We're still a comedy first program. I don't think we set out to change the world. The jokes might give people a different view of the world, which is a good thing, but... I'm not like a retired cop who longs to be back in the car and the smell of the, <laughs> I don't miss it yet. It's not, it hasn't been long enough. You don't, don't miss the miss, work. You miss the camaraderie. I don't on some miss level. getting sent to a place on short notice to talk about a powerful issue with amazing people yeah. all crammed into 48 hours, 36 hours sometimes. And then hard job right back. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot. So I think that there are other ways that I can, I can come up with other ways to bring light to a lot of the issues that the show address. If I never end up back at that show. Yeah. Yeah. I've been speculating at least to my wife, uh, (laughs) that, uh, they haven't really named a successor maybe because they're trying to avoid being locked into paying someone a permanent salary. Like I, I'm just trying to figure out what this, this is, as you say, it's been over a year. Um, so I'm, Comedy works best when the viewer has a relationship with the host. Yeah. The host eventually earns the trust of the viewer to do material and topics that they probably would never have done in their guest host week. Right. So, you know, I just think, and and they know that as a network, they, they're clear, they're looking for a host. So inevitably you have to put someone in that chair you know, you can do all the guest hosting all you want, but next year is an election year in America and you're going to need some relationships. Yeah, I think. Right. And they don't have that. That's true. That's an interesting point. So shouldn't they, again, I think you've spoken to this to some extent and to the extent that I think you're just as baffled as anyone else. What is your perspective on what is preventing them from making a call on this? Like, I just don't, I don't get it. You're closer to it. But I think you're also I, I confused. Yeah, you don't know either. No, okay. I don't. I don't. I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't thought much about it. Like I'm very selfish in that regard. I got a career to run. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I know you probably. It, it could be money. It could be looking for the right person with ratings and all of that stuff. I know there was rumors that it was going to be Hassan. Then there was rumors that it wasn't going to be. So if you're going to go this way or that way. Maybe you, maybe Hassan was already the guy and they were waiting for the strike to end. You know, I don't know. But 
if you are looking for the perfect golden goose, you know, it's, it's hard to say. And it's hard to compare the decision to hire John Stewart to the decision to hire Trevor Noah to what they're doing now, because these are all clearly different places, the economics of entertainment and also the news cycle and the viewers relationship with the media is different as well too. So, you know, I do not know. I, yeah. And I've just never given much thought to it. I would imagine that having the guest host does help in the short term with the novelty of having different types of people and different political perspectives. And you just kind of treat it like a, you know, a little, little round table for a while, you know, you kind of punt the ball for a few months yeah. until you give the reins over to someone the issue could be money. Maybe they had a host and that host had different creative ideas that the network didn't want to do. Maybe they had another host who wanted to do it, but they didn't want to do it as many weeks. So I'm sure people are taking their calls if they're calling them. So beyond that, it's money or creative. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's at that point you're into that. That's a that's a network question. But I can't wonder why and then see how I could. We sneak my way in and be the solution to their problem. I don't have time to figure out what your problem is. Let me know when you <laughs> solve it. In the meantime, I'll be in Canada telling jokes, making money, trying to build my profile. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's, I'm going to sell a TV script or two. I'm going to try and go do a movie and I'll be over here doing that. I good. love y'all. Yeah. But I can't wait for that. Again, good for you, Roy. I'm just saying, I, 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 I appreciate it. And I think uh, people, uh, I'm not the only one who does. So, Thank you. For if you're going to be horrified in your life, you should be horrified at the choices you've made and not the situations you've been thrust into. Hmm. And that was feeling more and more like potentially ending up a situation that I would be thrown into where you name a new host, the new host doesn't want correspondence or we're doing budget cuts and you're one of the senior correspondents, I'll be the first to go. Or it's a host I don't want to work with and creatively I don't think I can do something that honors what they're trying to create. So we should part ways. Either way, it's January 1st and I don't have a fucking idea. I don't have a fucking plan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. So I'm not going to operate like that. Yeah. You alluded to late night and how it's shifting uh, sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth. And my, from no, my, you're fine. yeah, well, from my perspective, the relevancy of conventional vehicles for stand-up comedy, like late-night talk shows and sitcoms, that's been waiting for some time now. Like when I was a kid, I would either, if I could, I'd stay up late, or I'd set my VCR and I'd tape Letterman and Conan, and it was, we would all kind of talk about it. And I think we're past that for the most part. Um, I'm trying to get at the fact that I think the relevancy of late night shows and sitcoms, particularly for comedians as a marker of success, for one thing, uh, has shifted. On the other side of it, I think they're being consumed yes. less by people in general. I mean, I watch yes. I watch a Closer Look on YouTube, but I don't stay up and watch it on the TV. So like on the Seth Meyers segment, sometimes I'll watch that. But I used to be like religiously watching the whole entire show and I knew the pacing and I knew how the show was produced. And I feel like I'm older. I don't know if that relationship with younger people and TV talk shows is quite the same thing. That's my read on no, it. No, it's not. Yeah. That's not. I mean, the statistics prove it. Later ratings are lower. The cumulative ratings have declined over years for late night. I think that they're still relevant. Young people still seek to be entertained. They still seek to have a relationship 
with the stars and stuff like that. I think I don't think late night's dead. I just think it has to recalibrate. It's got to run a different offense. It's got to switch to Southpaw and exist more in places where where other people are right now. You know, like entertainment has changed in my opinion. It used to be a place where you could build your shop and people would come to you. But now people are where they are and you have to go to them. So you yeah. have to meet them on their individual platforms through that platform style of entertainment. I do think, though, we should be very careful in watching the contraction of the streaming companies. And as they start adding ad tiers, it's going to create a more linear television like viewing experience for young people. And eventually, if streaming implodes on itself back into uh, it's basically kind of sort of cable. Yeah look and feel then we're right back in 1992 again and and content and history will repeat itself um you know you look at a guy like shane gillis who has one of the most watched netflix specials of the year shane has not been on late night television at all kind of got blacklisted there too right yeah but he built but he found his audience audience is king you think netflix cared that he got blacklisted from saturday night live netflix don't care yeah shane is funny shane has people who think he's funny that's enough for netflix he's number one over people who weren't blacklisted or who haven't been canceled or however you define that so yeah the idea of finding your audience solely through late night you know the ray romano was probably the last one kevin james was probably the last one to do a late night show, then get a sitcom, then do movies. Right. And be huge. And and Kevin James nailed it at every level. But each tier got him the next tier and got him the next tier. There's young influencers and social media stars right now that are just sitting in films and haven't done any of the previous levels. You know, you got this kid, uh, Kai Sinat. Uh, He's a Twitch. He's a Twitch kid. Plays video games celebrities come over to his house to play games with him. Yeah. That's the new Johnny Carson couch. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't imagine that kid has a single SAG after credit, but God bless him because he built his audience and people care about him and he has eyeballs and wherever there's eyeballs, celebs are going to come because they're whores for attention. So, you know, there's, there's a million ways to get the eyeballs of people. Yeah, there's and there's no one way is where I'm coming from. I think we've outlined how in the past there were one or two things you would do and then you would land somewhere and get some money and have a viable career. Uh, this is probably a difficult question to uh, answer, but as I ponder what you've just been through and what you're doing right now, uh, hitting the road and, and doing comedy, do you have a sense, Roy, like if you could do any one thing next in this weird landscape, what are you looking at? What what do you what do you have your eye on that would be like the utmost in terms of where you want to be? I mean, in terms of fiscal stability, I think I enjoy acting, I enjoy writing. For as long as you can write, you'll have a job in this industry. It's more things to write for than there are to act in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. But I do enjoy the idea of talking to regular people, so that's something I want to explore a little bit more of. I'm not sure in what capacity or how to do that. But I think connecting with the regular folks, but in a non-scripted late night capacity, that's something I'll have to ideate on my own. That's not something anyone's going to give it. No one's paying money for new ideas anymore. Yeah. That's a weird part of this, isn't it? Here, bro. Yeah. 
we're doing stuff that looked like something else that's already been done, bro. Yeah. That's how the networks play it. They 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 bet the table minimum. Mm. So if you want to get wild with it, you got to do it on your own dime and do it on your own time. And so that's part of where leaving the Daily Show gives me the time to sit and just think. So I don't I can't even completely answer that question yet because my mind is still not completely still. And in that stillness, I think it's, that's where the ideas come. Yeah, I appreciate that. You did say something there that I want to just uh, touch upon. I know it's probably uh, a glimmer in your eye, but talking more to regular people. Is that what you said? Correct. Yeah. What is like that? The way well, I, I don't know. But I, I like, like, I've seen people do live streams where they talk to randoms. I've seen the young kids on TikTok with the tiny mics talk to regular people. I've seen people go out and set up a table and invite people to sit down. There's a million ways. I do not know. But I do know starting Not there, crowd work. Not crowd work per se, no. but <laughs> talking <laughs> yeah. to regular people. Yeah, earth work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that's... That sounds interesting. I have to tell you, I don't have to. I'm going to. I've been rewatching uh, Better Call Saul uh, for probably like the <laughs> fifth or sixth time. I can't stop watching that show. I just find it endlessly fascinating. And uh, anyway, uh, like a week or two ago, uh, your scene came up, the big scene with you and Kim Wexler in the uh, in the uh, uh, storage room with all the files. And I, I got so excited to see you, Roy. I, I'm a big fan, and uh, you, you nailed it there. So I hope uh, you get to do more acting. I, uh, yeah, I uh, yeah. so. Did you, uh, were you happy with the end of that? Did you watch the series? Like, did you keep up with yeah. it beyond your role in it? Yeah, I felt like it's, a, I was already a fan. When I got the call, I was like, huh? I, yeah. I was praying that Gus Fring would murder me. It would have <laughs> been an honor to be in the scene with Giancarlo Stanton. It, like, just Giancarlo Esposito. I'm thinking of Giancarlo from the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, base, baseball in our brains. The yeah. other Giancarlo. But they send you they send you the script and it's like all redacted and it's like only your lines. Sometimes you don't even see what your character says back to you yet until oh. the day. Like it's like they yo, they keep that shit under lock, bro. It was it was it was a good time. It was a really, really good time. But yeah, you know, Vince Gilligan like you know, to go back to back with two different series that essentially tie up that entire universe and yeah. the world of those people. Uh it was a beautiful thing. I feel like it's underappreciated, like when it comes to like awards and stuff. Like, I can't think of oh, better. Snub City. It Snub is right. City. I'm not okay. What? What? What did they not do to deserve Nothing. more? They just ran up against the buzzsaw that was Game of Thrones and then Secession. Yeah, HBO, HBO yeah. in particular. Uh, I just, yeah. I've watched those shows as well. I think what Gilligan did surpasses that it may be just my opinion but my i just the saul here's a controversial thing i don't expect you to engage necessarily but i'm at a point where i think saul is better than breaking bad somehow i know this is ridiculous do you know what i'm saying yeah well it's a more human it's a more real story well but they had to do all this temporal interweaving and 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 tie up that show and, and connect it to that universe as well i just have never seen Anyone quite do this is where I'm coming from. Yeah, like it's a prequel and a like extension of Breaking Bad all at the same time. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And the present day stuff, we see how it all connects back to the past and how the past justifies the choices he makes. 
yeah. in the present. It's definitely a long walk. I'm in a loop because I did watch, I finished Better Call Saul when it actually finished. Then I rewatched Breaking Bad. And then I watched all the other things. Anyway, I don't mean to go on about it. I'm just happy you had yeah, a role in that. It's really great. And I, I just want to mention that I was happy to see you on screen. Now, you uh, recently, in the last, I want to say, six months, you destroyed at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Congratulations on that. Uh, how Thank did it you. How did it feel when you were on stage performing? Um, performing at the Correspondents' Dinner is jumping out the plane and then putting your parachute on as you're falling to the ground. <laughs> it's the only thing I can compare it to. It's horrific, but you have to smile through it and act like everything's going fine and then hope the first joke lands, which it did. Biden laughed at it. And so that was enough for me to go, okay, all right, I know what I'm doing. All right, I can keep doing this now. You seemed very centered. You seemed on point. It was impressive. I just want to say that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I and mean, it was a, it was a good time. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I think it's one of the toughest but most rewarding gigs. Yeah. Uh, in comedy. Listen, I don't know if you're saving this for a memoir or something, or if you've already spoken to this. President uh, Joe Biden said something to you during the standing ovation that you received. Because you just so if people haven't watched it, and I'll link to it in the podcast stuff here. Roy did this remarkable thing where he hit every note. It ended emotionally. Your mother was there. It was just beautifully done. It was hilarious. It was sharp. I loved every aspect of it. But he said something to you, and he did his kind of Joe Biden pointing thing. Can you share anything uh, from that uh, encounter? Um, I don't even remember. Um, (laughs) I My brain was just in another place. Just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? What did I just do? What did I just do? What did I just do? Oh, my Lord. Uh, I do remember when Kamala walked past as they were leaving. She didn't say funny. She said funny. Doug said, the first gentleman said funny. And then Kamala said something I really appreciated. She said, wonderfully constructed. Which to me is like, you get what I was trying to do. You know, It's a, like it's it a very accurate compliment. Yeah, like that one. that one meant a lot. Like yeah. that one, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. But no, you know, myself and the writers, we were just trying to figure out a way to talk about things that are, you know, fun, but also relevant, yeah. you know, without, you know, completely dividing the room or whatever. But, you know, it was it was good. It was it was good. And if there's ever, you know, a gig in my life that I can hang my hat on and go, you know what, I did all right with that one. That's the one. You're, you're clearly, you had this out-of-body experience. So I get the impression from what you're saying that your sense memory of actually doing it is a bit blurry. Did you end up watching it after? In parts. I still have not sat and watched it in its entirety okay. since I did it. I ran that set so many times, man, yeah, that yeah. I just, I am incapable of watching that without overly critiquing it. So I'm just not, no. No, I'll, I'll get around to it, but it'll have to be years from now when I'm like finally detached and dismissive of it. So, OK, going back to what I was saying, I appreciate that some of whatever was going on in your periphery might not have registered because you were concentrating. But did the reaction to any particular bit surprise you in any way, like good or bad? Did a joke hit in that room that made you think, "Uh oh, or wow? Um, the Clarence Thomas bit and saying that Clarence Thomas is an NFT. 
that was going to make me laugh. Um, Sorry. It's a really good bit. The, That's very funny. <laughs> the, the, the gay people aren't grooming your kids. Besides, those kids are going to get shot anyway. Yeah. I knew that one would make him groan. And that was an interesting joke because when we ran it in the comedy clubs, it got a laugh. Mm. Because those are constituents. Whereas in the room on the day, you were talking with people who are either the lawmakers that are responsible for the laws that happen, that make it happen or not happen. Yeah. Or you're talking with the people who are basically the media that's responsible for how you cover it, that influences the perception of this issue. Yeah. So of course there was going to be more offense taken in the room. So figuring out like trying doing jokes that you don't know how they're going to do in the room was probably one of the harder parts of the correspondence dinner. You know, you did a thing that I noticed and it was notable to me because there are comedians who have taken to that stage. Uh, Hassan is one of them. I don't, I don't remember if Michelle Wolf falls into this category, but they kind of went after as much of the media in the room. I'm sorry. There's a long tradition of this. I just picked two random people. Mm -hmm. But you did a thing which I think was fascinating, and it speaks to the vice president's comment, I think. I think you were being critical of them, but you wrap up praising the truth and the, and the role the journalism has in – in in revealing the truth to the people on a local level, on every level. I assume this was a conscious choice of yours, not simply playing to the room because you knew your audience was mostly journalists. Like th this was a true thing you said. Were any of these past correspondence dinners and performances, uh, did they play a role in how you were going to tonally speak to people in this room? A little bit, but the more I watched them, the more I realized that none of them really you can't compare them. It's like mm. watching an old, it's like watching somebody else's Super Bowl to decide how you're going to prepare for your Super Bowl. Right. Okay. The, the, it's all the Super Bowl, but the circumstances are different. My opponent is in a different point in the media cycle. The sentiment against the media was totally different than it was with Hassan or Wolf or Trevor. Yeah. And for me, attacking the media, okay, that's fine. But people have done that before and that hasn't changed anything and I don't think any one golden joke will change anything but what's the one thing I can try and educate the general public on and I know that oh I can try and get other people to see what the media is going through as well not necessarily defense of the media but also newsrooms are shrinking newspapers are disappearing so the idea of even presenting the truth is difficult now yeah and that's a true statement. So yeah. I don't yeah. have time to do that and attack you and tell everybody that you do your job terribly. So yeah. I just chose a path. So, yeah. And I felt like I could get away with that because of my own insight into the craft, having a degree in it and having come up watching family members um, do the job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you had a unique perspective on it given your family's history with journalism yeah absolutely and i think that's why they stood up um at the end beyond the fact that you like i said you destroyed one of the wildest and most infamous things about the white house correspondence dinner uh broadcast are the audience cutaways 
So in your case, you might tell a joke about Don Lemon getting fired and then the camera cuts, I think, to the CNN table to get a reaction shot. And at one point during yours, you even asked them to take the camera off of Kamala Harris, as I recall. Are those cutaways distracting on stage? Like you, you clearly can see what they're doing. Yeah, I have a feed monitor, so I know what's being seen by what's being broadcast. I see. Uh, it's not distracting. I mean, it was just a fun little let's be playful and break away from the script for a second mm-hmm. type of thing, which I think is also very important to make it feel natural and like you're in the room, yeah. you know, like the first joke when Biden leaves the podium and I go up there and I tell him that he left some classified <laughs> documents. Yeah. You may want to get you. You may want to hold on to these. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. That's also, and that's a perfect example of a joke that I couldn't do the night before when I was running the jokes at the DC Improv. Yeah, you know. But this feels like the right type of lighthearted thing to say right now. Yeah. So let's give it a shot. One of the things I always notice is there are always people in the audience who seem unimpressed by the comedian. Uh, did you- <laughs> oh, of course. That That's always. But some of them people can't they can't laugh because their boss is at the table. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like that's I think that's part of the issue, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a pretty interesting dynamic, I have to say, because you'll see sometimes they'll do cutaways and the rival network is laughing at the network that's being skewered. It's just really, it's just, I don't know that I've ever really thought too much about how the editing or whatever, the, the camera work works. I think probably the most famous example is those weird reaction shots to Trump when Obama is roasting him, right? Do you remember? Like, they're they're vivid to me. Of like, yeah. You can't quite see him, but you can kind of tell he's frowning kind of thing. Yeah, but I feel like you have to have that degree of, that to me, at that event, the crowd shots of who, is and who is not laughing is just as important as yeah. the joke itself because it's funny yeah. it's funny to see someone stuffy be stuffy versus someone else being <laughs> you know so yeah you kind of learn who has a sense of humor about themselves and who doesn't correct absolutely yeah yeah so i want to ask about your current uh, act here as much as we can i don't want to give anything away but i also want to frame this potentially in a weird way but i'm going to do it anyway because i'm feeling bold as we're speaking, Roy, there's a, a conflict in, in, in Gaza that is being characterized as a genocide. America seems to be in, a, in socio-political end days. There's still a pandemic hospitalizing and killing people. Is any of that or anything else in particular informing your current act on this tour? Not yet. You know, you know was it tragedy plus time? Everything you're talking about still needs time. Yeah. So I think there's ways, you know, at the Daily Show, the general the general way we can navigate around a terrible event or a terrible issue is there are no jokes on the event itself, especially when death is involved. Like even when we're talking police body camera murders and things of that nature. Right. The joke is never on that. It's the causation and who's blocking or helping the causation or it's the solution to prevent it from ever happening again and who's blocking or helping that. Those are the quadrants where you can try to exist. But, you know, for me, with my act, my act has always been throughout all of the horrors in the eight years that I've been at The Daily Show 
It's been about trying to find an alternative way to look at something beyond the two sides of the issue. And sometimes that takes time to mine. So I don't feel a need to be first on an issue just because it's happening. Don't mean that I got to brush and have an opinion right now. Nine times out of 10, you ain't completely educated on the topic or you're not looking at the depth of causation that leads to that thing. If we're going to again, use police body camera deaths as kind of a, like, like say with like Brianna Taylor and everything that happened with that young woman being murdered by the Louisville police department, the issue where that started was a no knock warrant. So for me, if I'm trying to mine daily show content or a field piece, then it's about the history of the no knock warrant and where else in the country have no knock warrants gone left and somebody fucking died. And it's a lot of places. And then also what do other countries do? Do they have no, not so it's about finding that place to explore. But, you know, I think with the current jokes that I'm doing now, both in Canada and in the States, it's not that different from any of my previous three specials in terms of it's me giving some hopefully fresher and alternative perspectives on a lot of things that divide us. And then also just silly and simple stuff as well. Like my act is not nearly as political as I am on the daily show, probably to the point of disappointment to some people, but you know, I'm not going to take in all the horrors of the world for work and then turn around and also do that Yeah, for my other job. Yeah. One of the, I also deserve to breathe and yeah. we talk about mental health and all of that stuff. Well, and I think your, your approach to maybe talking about local um, issues or whatever, local news uh, it, it probably gives you a leg up because most of the crowd would be aware of it. Do you think that people are ignoring, sorry, I'm going to, I don't want to get us into generalizations, but does it feel to you like people these days are generally ignoring more true and good information? Like, is it hard to construct a bit not knowing if everyone actually knows the source material of a topical bit? Like I, I, cause I talk to people about various things and it's amazing that they don't, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that they haven't heard of a thing. And then I'm often like, oh, I haven't heard of this thing. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? It's everywhere. Do you, do you, are you seeing that kind of fracturing of people not knowing what you're referring to? I haven't seen much of that, but just in monitoring internet back and forth and arguments, I do think that there, we're starting to see fissures in how people agree on what the truth is you know, the truth itself is becoming relative and that's a dangerous place to exist. And that's because there's a lot of misinformation out there and algorithms can set you up to only be fed to things that, you know, confirmation bias, you know? So I think that's the bigger issue. You know, you can get on stage and say something that comes from a place that you think makes sense. And if someone disagrees with the setup, you know they're not going to be with you on the punchline. Yeah. We used to be in a world where people just didn't agree with the punchline. Yeah. But now people don't agree with the setup. So, you know, you just have to continue to do your jokes from the place that's true to you and hope that the people that like you are the ones that find their way into the showroom. <laughs> so it is a challenge. You're saying it is a challenge to, to, to do jokes like those. I'm saying that is your problem if you don't agree with me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to present my truth. Like, I don't give a fuck if you don't. Yeah. That's not what actually happened. Okay, man. Well, then you go get a show and get a microphone. Right. 
and you go present it the way you think that it, you know, like that type of, like that type of stuff is not, no, I'm not going to argue because to be scared of it or to say it's a problem means that I care about every single person. And that's a sucker's bet too. Yeah. As a performer. Yeah. It's to sit here and think that every single person can help you. Every single person deserves like you're trying to please everybody. You can't do that. Yeah. Can't do that. It seems to me that this has got to be your most extensive Canadian tour. You're in a city right now you've never been to. Is that fair? This tour you're on is you seen Canada like you never have before? Yeah, yeah. This is absolutely the most extensive tour that I've ever been on. Like period point blank in another country. I did I've done I've done England for like 10, 12 days, but like, you know, we're talking 20, 25 days here in one country. Like, no, I've never done anything like this before. So it's exciting. So you've been, I, I gather you're a, a studious fellow and you've been reading up on some local stuff for the cities you're um, performing in. Uh, have you done overarching Canadian research before you set foot in our country? And Not not completely yet. Not outside of the heating oil subsidy thing and the Trudeau stuff. Politics. For now. Yeah. Yeah. For now, that's enough to get me through. And then we'll delve into hockey a little bit. Um, <laughs> I need to assess how much people care about the CFL up here. It doesn't seem like Canadian football is something that people are crazy gung ho about. Not at the levels you are for hockey or the Raptors. Or the NFL. Know, so. I think more Canadians might Correct. admit they care more about the NFL than the CFL. Correct. Yeah. So so there's there's just research and immersion and just being and existing in this space that I think will give me what I need to get me through the tour. If you need any help, just reach out. I, I know a lot about Canada. I'm from here. I, uh, I, I will help you if you need it. Um, are there things that you are looking forward to or, or rather places you're looking forward to visiting in particular? Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to St. John's. Is it a uh, Newfoundland? It Prince Edward Island? Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Newfoundland. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to Victoria because I've never been. And I want to go back to Vancouver cause I want to get that damn Jappa dog. <laughs> that is the best hot dog on earth. <laughs> and I will be at that damn Jappa dog cart. Believe that. <laughs> so you're drawn to islands. So are you still living on uh, in Manhattan or New York? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what I am. I guess I'm an island man. <laughs> well, you're going to have a great time. Uh, I know it for sure. Uh, we've kind of hinted at what sort of next uh, in that you're, you have some thoughts and ideas. Is there anything you can say beyond this tour in terms of your plan? And, and I see you've got more tour dates uh, coming up uh, right into the new year, actually. But anything else you yeah. want to share at this point? No, we're good, man. I just, I, my goal is to write scripts and to try and self-produce other non-scripted content that just connects with regular people in the world and just seeing what they are going through. Regular people seems to be a, uh, a phrase that we've come back to. So I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing where you go with this, Roy. I am a big fan. I admire you greatly. As a brief aside, having read your work, having interviewed you before, and, and even in this one, I feel like you're the king of analogies. Does that resonate with you? You say things in this Rolling Stone article that just came out. I'm like, what an amazing metaphor or corollary. Like, I, I don't know how you do it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to overflatter you. <laughs> no, I, you, I, you, I just I'm trying to boil. Th that's what comedians you have to do. You have to boil down the complex 
um, into something simple so people can understand it. So that's just all I try you, to do. Today you said uh, you, you wouldn't uh, uh, succeed at your Super Bowl by watching an old Super Bowl. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's a brilliant way yeah. of, of saying <laughs> it doesn't it's matter. It's you versus the audience. And yeah. each yeah. audience is a different team, a different temperament, a different just different global geopolitical circumstances that influence, you know, that type of stuff. So yeah, it's a much different situation. I just admire your uh, wisdom and wordplay, I guess is what I'm getting at. And it's uh, always a pleasure to to, to get to talk to you. If people want to learn more about you, Roy, on the internet and whatnot, uh, where would you like them to go? Uh, Just myname.com or put an at sign in front of it and you find me everywhere. Rywood Jr. All right. Um, you know, normally I go out on a bit. Is there something from a recent special we can go out on? A, a record? Um, find the Idris Elba bit and put that in. Or okay. the Leo DiCaprio bit. Okay. So two actors uh, during an actor's strike. I think this is a nice nod uh, from Roy. <laughs> <laughs> a show of solidarity. So you're about yeah. to hear a bit uh, either about Idris Elba or Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Roy Wood uh, Jr., thank you so much for making time for me. It is always a pleasure. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself. And Absolutely. Uh, welcome to Canada. Indeed. I know a lot of people don't like those movies. I understand it. I understand the feeling. It's black pain. It's terrible shit being documented on screen. People making money off of it. You know, but our history got to be somewhere. It ain't in the textbooks. So... So we get some better options, we just got to have a couple struggle movies every now and then. It is what it is. But I'll tell you what throw me off, though. I be watching them civil rights movies, man. What throw me off, I watch a civil rights movie and be like, oh, damn, that was a good-ass movie. And then two weeks later, you find out the main black dude in the movie is British. You're like, ah, shit. Motherfucker got me. There's some black Brits, they good. The anger is a compliment. Them black Brits, they, they so good, it feel like betrayal. You be watching the movie. This motherfucker be Martin Luther King. I'll have a dream and then a dream and I'll be dreaming and then a dream. <laughs> then you see him two weeks later in the interview. Well, my job lives when a jubilee on that day. All right, my nickels. I'm like, why is Dr. King talking like this? <laughs> and this might not be an issue for most people, but every black person remember the day they found out Idris Elba wasn't from Baltimore. <laughs> Oh, my God. That was a troubling day in the black American community. It's like finding out your daddy wasn't your daddy. It's just Albert. That's Stringer Bell from the wire. That's Stringer Bell, dog. Like, nah, dog. That motherfucker from over there. No, he ain't. You shut the fuck up. And then you saw Idris. You saw him in the, you saw him in the interview. Well, I tell you, for breakfast, me love a warm bowl of beans. You're like, oh. Not my dog. Not my dog. Oh. Oh. I think I think part of the rift between black Americans and black Brits, it just boils down to we don't know enough about foreign black people's struggle. We don't know enough about black British people because they don't teach us their history. And if I don't know your pain, I can't trust you to portray mine on camera. That's the that's the issue. But it ain't black Brits' fault. It ain't they fault. We don't know shit about their history. They ain't teaching us foreign racism in America. 
We ain't learning about the struggle across the diaspora. We just now learning about Tulsa. That shit happened around the corner. Yeah, we did. We too busy learning Roman numerals in America. They ain't teaching you about the struggle across the diaspora. They only gonna teach you. Thank God I know the Roman numerals. Now I know which Super Bowl we own. Fucking idiot. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nice to have Roy Wood Jr. back on the show this time, potentially getting him into Eric's trip. That was... I wonder if that'll happen. I hope he listens to Eric's trip while he hangs out in Canada. I, I don't know if he made it to any record stores in Moncton there. Anyway, thanks again to Roy Wood Jr. for being back on the show, this time for the uh, 816th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're uh, hunting for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on various social media things, or follow it, I suppose. You can like it on Facebook. We, we still have a page. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and Instagram, at Vishkana. You can also uh, follow me on Blue Sky and Threads. Uh, I'm using those things a little bit. And, uh, yeah, and other things too, I guess. Just uh, look me up. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content and you get episodes earlier than everybody else. And I can also send you a t-shirt if you like. I am seriously considering a Patreon campaign. I'd like to get, because I want to just, I think my wife and I were, I got to talk. I might put out an episode about this. I haven't decided. I think if I can get it to like two or 3,000. I could do this. That's like 30 people doing a hundred dollars for the, no, that can't be right. No, that's the math doesn't make, I got it. Well, wait, that works. You know, I, I, those of you who are mathematicians, you could figure out where I was going with that. But anyway, I need that. And I want to figure this out. So look out. I might do some thinking about it. Maybe like a week long campaign to see if I can goose the patron. Cause it's so low. Anyway, this sounds desperate. If you can support me on Patreon today, patreon.com slash creative control thank you also want to thank pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee respectively in guelph ontario and granddad's donuts in hamilton ontario ontario for their in-kind support for this show 
Thanks as always to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with the great, great Roy Wood Jr. He's, as you heard, if you're in Canada, he's touring right across the country. No excuse not to see him. If you, if he's, uh, if you live in a city, he's he's going to be playing nearby. Absolutely, extensive touring. So, uh, thank you, Roy, for being back on the show. Thank you all for listening to Roy on the show, and for uh, spreading the word about Creative Control and subscribing to this podcast and following it. It means the world. So, I thank you. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.